grow in you, Lord, to fellowship with other believers and, um, and non-believers who might be here with us. God, I just lift up this morning to you, Lord. I pray that you anoint this time together. You say in your word that when two or more are gathered in your name, that you're in our presence. Lord, we invite you in this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you so much for what you've done for us, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. When I uh, changed my sermon title, and he puts it up there, but it is a little different. Um, the sermon title is Satan Schemes and Attacks All People, Including Christians. Um, so we're looking at spiritual warfare, and we're going to be in this topic a little bit because we've been discussing over time some different things related to this. And um, so I want to, this morning I just really want to, I really want you to feel the, um, the sense of urgency and reality that we really are in a spiritual warfare. And it's a topic that um, some people might not find very interesting. And it might be because maybe they don't believe in God, so they don't believe in spiritual things anyway. So they might think it's kind of humorous or funny that we talk about a reality that's not just physical, the um, material world. They're materialist and they don't believe in the supernatural, so they would think it's silly that we would talk about this. Um, there's another group of people who believe in God but do not believe in Satan, um, which is kind of odd. But that's, there are people who believe in God and there's a creator, but they really don't um, believe in evil that much. Uh, that's another category of people who might not find this that interesting. But here's the group that troubles me. It's the people who do believe in God and and also believe in Satan, but they really just don't want to get involved in something that's messy and as bloody as a war. That fits a lot of people in the Christian church. It's like, well, of course they believe in it, but they're not particularly interested in the topic because it could get messy. It could be hard. They'd rather just pretend that everything's going to work out well and not really get engaged. It's kind of like people who are trying to be neutral in the middle of a battle, but they're right in the middle of the battlefield, and they're, they just don't want to be there, and they want to pretend. It's like, we don't want to fight, but fighting's going on all around them. And that would be a lot of people in the Church of Jesus Christ, that there really is this battle going on, but they would try to ignore it. But I'm going to contend that you can't. So I have uh, four four points I want to make and the first one's really just a summary from last week um, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about God's war so this is a, a um, book about war sp the spiritual war that we're in this whole book this Bible is about God's war and we, we take, took a look at that last Sunday and we were looking at Joshua chapter 1 and how Joshua is just one of many one of many people who understood that this was this book and the history and the world that we're living in is about a, a war. 
So Ephesians 6 is a vital passage for Christians to be equipped for the great war between God and Satan and therefore the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about God's war. In Genesis 3.1 last week we took a look at the serpent and it says that he was very clever um, and he is the primary antagonist. Satan is the antagonist, the head antagonist against God and the kingdom of God. But then we also read that at the end in Revelation chapter 20 it describes how he will fall and Satan and his entire uh, army will be defeated by God and they will be thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. So this is, this is our book from beginning to end, just so you know why we think this topic is, is extremely important. Uh, there's a book I recently read called Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas and he has this one little, um, there's a lot of good things in there, but this one little sentence I just thought is sim simplistically profound. And it is this, this is speaking to us as the church, as Christians. We have a painfully important task whether we ask for it or not. We have an important task whether we ask for it or not. It doesn't matter. As a believer and a Christian, this is our assignment given to us from God and is that we would engage on behalf of our Lord and on behalf of our King for His honor and for His glory. Okay, so... Um, the second point is Satan does not hesitate to attack and scheme against Christians. Satan does not hesitate to attack and scheme against us. Um, we don't have this um, pass on what Satan is up to. God wants us to be ready at all times. We cannot be lazy and ignore his warnings. We cannot afford to go out without our spiritual armor. We must be constantly on the lookout for the schemes of Satan. Your salvation saves you from hell and determines where you will spend eternity, but it does not remove you from the war zone. It's really important. Some people have this idea that if you just become a Christian, everything's going to be easy and everything's going to just come naturally and it's just going to be wonderful and you get to sing songs and go to Christian um, vacation spots and you know, meet the sweetest people at church. Isn't that part funny? Um, but Satan does not hesitate to attack and scheme against us. Your salvation saves you from hell, determines where you will spend eternity, but it does not remove you from the war zone. As long as you are living in your earthly body, you must put on the armor of God every day. And so the real challenge is not to be naive because Satan loves naive and gullible Christians. Um, I want to give a couple of examples of this. First of all is our, our chapter we're in right now in Ephesians. In Ephesians, can anybody, you remember who he's writing to in the book of Ephesians? Yeah, he's writing to Ephesians who are Christians why, why would he bother them to tell them to be put on some kind of armor if they weren't even in a battle some Christians act like they're not even it's like oh, I've been delivered I'm saved I'm, I'm saved I, everything's good or they pretend it's going to be like that but he's writing to Christians and he says 
put on the whole armor of God. Hey, he's like he's saying, hey, wake up. It's the last thing he says at the end of Ephesians. He comes to the end and he says, hey, guys, wake up. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor. Put on the whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If you don't do what he's commanding you to do, you're going to fall. That's what he's saying. You're going to get beaten up. And then in, we know about, about Job and how many of you think Job was a believer? Absolutely. Job was a believer in God. He was actually... God's shining example of a believer in this day. It's like, have you seen my servant Job? He's like, he's up there. He's like the best model I've got. But it didn't mean he was free from temptation. And Satan came to God and said, you let me at him. I'll get him to curse you. And we know from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and what happened in Job? Job came under horrible attack. It even says that Satan attacked, attacked Job's family. He attacked Job's home. He attacked all his worldly possessions. And it says Satan came and inflicted on him physical harm. And he had sores that were from Satan. And he was a believer. Um, maybe we're a bit naive. And David was an example. And in 1 Chronicles 21, it says that Satan came, he hated Israel, and he incited David to number Israel. And 70,000 people died. He incited David to number Israel. He didn't put a billboard up and said, let's number Israel. He, he took a census. And it doesn't sound like a terrible thing to do other than the fact that God told him not to. And so God told him not to and Satan told him to. He incited him. Maybe we could say he incited him, he got inside of him. He got in his head. Satan can get in your head. Christian, Satan can get in your head. And that's what he did. He, incited, he got in David's head and gave David an idea that was not from God and was contrary to God. And he made him think that he ought to do something. He made him think that somehow it would be advantageous to do something that God said clearly don't do. Satan can get in your head like that. Do, do you understand this? Just because you go to church doesn't mean Satan can't get in your head. David loved God. He had faults. Job loved God and Satan got on his body. And David loved God and Satan got in his head. And 70,000 people died because of this murderous enemy of life. And God. And people are dying in our day because Satan puts ideas in people's heads 
and they go to war and they sell drugs and they take drugs and they molest and they allow certain things to take place. Even people in high offices and positions of great power like David, David didn't go out and kill himself 70,000 people but because David disobeyed God, 70,000 people died. He didn't do it with his own hands, but he did it because he disobeyed God. And that's what happens in our nation when we allow things that are past. And we're going to talk more about that next week, not this week. We're going to look at those authorities and principalities. And we're going to talk about some of the cultural things that are happening in our day where Satan is working in our society. He's very active in our day, not just in the Bible. is just revealing to us what he was doing then. It's the same actors acting now. And we just need to believe this about ourselves. And then, I don't know if you've paid much attention to this, but you remember the story when, um, you remember when Peter wanted to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem? And he said, get behind me, Satan. Um, that's a strong language. Did it bother you the first time you read that or heard about it? It's like, that's strong language. That Jesus tells Peter, who's going to be one of the leaders of the church. And he said earlier, Peter, you're, you're like a rock now that you've confessed faith in Christ. And he says to him, Peter was trying to talk Jesus into doing something not engaging in the spiritual battle. Peter's like, Jesus, don't engage. Don't engage. Don't go to Jerusalem where you'll have to engage. Peter was trying to tell Jesus not to fight so hard and don't go into the thick of the battle. And Jesus' response to him, that thought is from the devil. We must go engage. And he tells him. And then it's interesting that shortly after that, before Peter denies. You remember Peter denied Jesus three times? Do you remember, maybe if you, if you get this chronology, that before Peter denied him, Jesus said, Hey, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And then in the same chapter of the Bible, 20 verses later, he denied Jesus. Satan got into Peter's mind again. He made him fearful. He made him unwilling to engage in warfare. And he said, get behind me, Satan. And then he didn't want to. He was ashamed of Jesus. And he was like, he was terrified for his life. And he denied Jesus three times. But his answer was, I've prayed for you. He didn't say, don't worry, Peter. You, Satan can't attack you. You're a believer. He said, I've prayed for you. Prayer. The prayers of Jesus Christ and His intercessory power are what's going to protect us as we go forward. So Ephesians 6 makes no sense, zero sense, if Christians are off limits to satanic and demonic attacks. There would be no need to put on the armor of God if becoming a Christian automatically means we are devil-proof. This passage makes it clear that we are not. This passage makes it clear that we are a target a special trophy for enemy forces. Satan has a strategy just for you. 
and He's studied you and has a record of all your past failures and weaknesses. And it is no accident that certain things just happen or keep popping up in your life or on your phone. He knows your algorithms and sends endless text messages into your inbox. And you need to learn to block Him. You need to learn to put on the whole armor of God in 2023. And that leads me to the third point. You need to learn how to stand. You, you need to learn how to stand. Satan doesn't hesitate, hesitate to attack us, and so we've got to learn how to, how to stand, how to endure. Put on the whole armor of God, says verse 11, that you may be able to stand. So, you know how a little baby can't do much? When they're first born, I mean, they're not doing much at all. And you just sit there for hours watching them. Just, oh, how beautiful. They're just, they're not doing much. But they're precious. And then they start wiggling. Like, oh, here comes the videos to grandma. They're wiggling. She, he's wiggling. And then they're flapping. It's like, oh, now he's flapping. And then they... Turn their head and look how, oh, how muscly they are. Look, they can hold their own head now. They're, they can hold their head up. Like, what, what a great accomplishment. What if that's all you ever did? No one would clap. And then they start crawling. They crawl around. And like, then all kinds of, like they're crawling. And the next thing you know, they're pulling themselves up and they're standing. And they're able to stand. And it's like, whoa, they're standing. And, I mean, it's not that big a deal after you learn how to run and stuff that you can stand. But when you first learn to stand, you can't run until you can stand. And Christians can't walk with God. And mount up on wings as eagles and run and soar until they can stand. And say, Jesus says you can't even stand if you don't learn about the armor of God. Without the armor, you will not be able to stand. You will fall. You will fall. You will be injured. You will be caught or imprisoned, maybe even killed. So there's a few things that go along with learning to stand. And the first thing is you need to be wise or don't be naive. Satan cannot take away your salvation. But he can bring devastation to your life like he did to Job's life or take your life like he did to Israelites who died in the wilderness. And even though I know they were a rebellious generation, I do believe some of them repented. I don't think every single Israelite, two million all died in the wilderness and all went to hell. I think some of them probably actually did repent, but because of their rebellion, they did die in the wilderness and they never got to fulfill all that God had for them. So don't, don't be naive, be wise, and then confess your sins every day. It's like, if you want to stand, you've, you've got to learn to acknowledge your mistakes to God. That's called confession of sin. And the Lord's Prayer is another very significant 
prayer for us, if we're going to learn to walk with God and take our stand for God, we've got to learn to pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a companion for Ephesians 6. The Lord's Prayer goes with the armor of God. It's like they're, they're part of the same boot camp for a soldier of God. And so learning to pray includes praying against the evil one. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to confess sin every day. Forgive us our debts. What does that mean? Um, our offenses, our sins, our violations, our trespasses, our debt against God. Forgive us our debt against you, God. And yes, you sin on a daily basis. It also teaches us to pray every day for the wisdom to avoid temptation. So deliver us. Forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation or into a place where we will be enticed and tempted. Instead, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver means rescue or come after us. Lord, deliver me like a lifeguard rescues someone drowning. Evil is going to take us down, take us under, drown us. Evil is active and powerful and aggressive and dangerous. Lord, help. Every day, Lord, help. We don't go, I'm so strong in the Lord today. I witnessed to four people yesterday. Well, you better wake up in the morning and get ready because he's not going to applaud what you did yesterday. The devil's not going to go, oh, can't touch him. He was, had some victories in his past. No, you're a trophy. He would love to bring you down. He would love to hold you up and say, look at what I did to this formerly strong one. Evil is active and powerful and aggressive. So he says, deliver us from evil. There's a definite article in the Greek, so it's really like deliver us from the evil. And it's, it's a genitive, which means it's possession. It's a possessive, which means it has to do with a noun. It modifies something. What does it modify? Like what's the, what's the, what's it pointing to? The evil. It's pointing to someone. Who is the someone? Who is evil? Who is the evil one? That's who it's pointing to. It's Satan. Deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from not bad stuff. Someone who's in charge of bad stuff. Deliver us from the evil. And who is the evil? The evil one is Satan. Deliver us from Satan. That's what we're praying. Every day we ought to be on our knees saying, Lord God, Satan is clever and he got my number. And he's sending me these text messages screaming for my attention and he's tempting me deliver me lead me not into temptation don't let me go down in this tempting road lord give me the wisdom to avoid the traps and then even though i'm avoiding them deliver me from him deliver me from the evil one the lord's prayer is similar to paul's prayer that we have to be on guard against evil the evil one both passages speak of this as a constant state of opposition coming against all people, including Christians. So therefore, you need to pray like this every day. So I'm just curious, and you can raise your hand if you want to, or you cannot raise your hand if you want to, but hopefully you'll agree. How many of you actually believe that you need to be delivered from the evil one every day? I hope you all believe you need to be delivered... Every day. It's like Satan doesn't go on vacation, so you better not. He never puts away his guns in his gun cabinet. They're always in his belt. And you better not put yours away. This is, this is what we're, this is the place in the 
atmosphere that we're living. So, a couple of examples of this. Um, you, the, the, in Matthew 13, there's two parables that are very helpful in this and the, show us how active Satan is. And the, the work that we're inclined, the work that we're called to do as the church is especially, especially against Satan. He is especially against what we're here to do. He especially is interested in our ministry, in our work. We are the church of Jesus Christ. He hates the church of Jesus Christ. We are a part of the kingdom of God. He despises the kingdom of God. So if there's anything that rouses him, anything that gets his attention, it's, it's the work that we've been called to do as the body of believers. It's you, Christian. It's your Christian work that he opposes. In the parable of the soil, he opposes evangelism. And in the parable of the four soils, in the first soil, like right there at the very inauguration, the very beginning, um, he's opposed. Tom, if you go to Nicaragua, he's opposed to that. If you guys do evangelism on campus, he's opposed to that. If you have someone you've been praying for them, he's opposed to that. He is against you. If you have someone you're praying for, he wants to hinder that work of God. When I preach the gospel, he is opposed to that and he's working. He's not going, uh-oh, here comes the gospel. Let's, hey, buddies, um, me and my little demon buddies, let's get out of here. They're preaching the gospel. He's like, no, let's get in there. They're preaching the gospel. Let's stop, let's stop, let's attack. So in the parable of the soils, when the gospel is being preached and it says the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Do you, do you get, do you hear what I just read? The evil one comes and snatches what is in his ear. What is in his food. In his heart. How in the heck can the evil one attack and snatch truth from our hearts because he gets in our head and before we can commit with our hearts we have to think with our heads and so he gets into our thinking and that seed is in the heart and Satan goes and snatches it he is a snatcher and he snatches every time we gather he comes and there are people that would Come to know the Lord, but the Bible says Satan is snatching the seed. The seed is being planted. There are people that will listen and they will hear and they will agree up until a certain point. And it even gets to the point where they're ready to make a decision for God and he comes and he snatches it right there. It's already worked its way. And it's there and they're ready. Receive the Lord and Satan snatches that seed. You don't think we better be praying while the gospel is being preached? You don't think we better be praying when the offer of the gospel because the Satan is like a bird flying down and flapping to snatch that seed up in the last second. He is working. When God is working, He is working. 
And by prayer, we must ask God to stop him. In the parable of the, sow, of the weeds, also in Matthew 13, Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, the evangelist Jesus, who sowed good seed, the gospel, in his field. But while his men were sleeping, that is, workers in the field laboring for a harvest, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Who is this enemy? And what kind of weeds does he sow? The one who sows, Matthew 13, 37 says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Like Jesus is the one sowing seed. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus is sowing seed and he's using his workers in the kingdom of God. And the weeds are the, the, weeds are the sons of the evil one. So he is working. And they are sowing weeds when Jesus is sowing seed. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. All lawbreakers will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So does this sound like serious business to you? This is serious business. Okay. So that brings me to the fourth point. Engagement is not an option. Not an option. You are engaged. You might be poorly engaged or wrongly engaged, but you're engaged, you're in it. The only option is how we engage or for whom we engage. Paul does not say, if you decide to sign up for the battle, then you need to go by the supply warehouse and get some equipment. No, he says, he assumes that you know that you're engaged, and he says, put on the whole armor of God. So put on is an imperative, it's a command. It's interesting, it's also the arrow is tense. An arrow is tense means something happened and it's from that point forward it's a completed action. It doesn't happen over and over. It's like put on the armor, done, armor's on. It's not continuous action. It's not saying put on the armor every morning when you wake up because you don't take it off. It's, a done, it's, it's the new you. The new you is I have the armor of God. It's not a wake up tomorrow morning and put the armor back on. Oops, forgot my boots. The devil's going to shoot arrows at my feet. It's like put on the armor from this day forward. You're a soldier. That's what it's saying. One and done. Don't ever get caught without your armor. Decide to be a soldier and put on the armor. That's what he's just saying. Decide to be a soldier, put your armor on. That's who you are now. Put on the armor once and for all. Why? Because we wrestle. We wrestle. It does not say we might wrestle. It doesn't say consider wrestling. It says we wrestle. It is what we do by virtue of being alive in the world, and it's what we do by belonging to God as we wrestle with God's enemy. Satan does not leave anyone alone. He does not care if you curl up in a ball and try to hide. He will come after you and try to destroy you. And with whom do we wrestle? We wrestle with Satan and his entire army of devils and demons, all who are in this world who have not come over to the light. It goes much deeper than meets the eye. It is more subtle than humans who fight under different flags, wear different uniforms, and join alliances. It is unseen. It is seen. There's many visible evidences and manifestations, but it's also unseen. It's like more than just the seen. It's bigger than that. It includes the seen and the unseen. It's in every realm. We do not wrestle against flesh 
and blood or not flesh and blood only. It is not as simple as a physical, visible enemy. It includes real bullets, but it also includes invisible, fiery arrows. We wrestle against whom? The rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we wrestle against this amazing, large, powerful union of those who work in the kingdom of darkness. And he is a warlord. And he will never agree to a ceasefire. He must be defeated. He is firing flaming darts at us. He's always firing flaming darts. He is never nice. He's never inactive. He is never interested in peace talks or accords or United Nations or the termination of war. He is a warlord. And there is no other way. You cannot convert the devil nor a demon. No demon or devil will ever be converted. And what you want and what they want for your soul is that you should burn in hell because that's where they will spend eternity. So next week I want to look at some of Satan's current strategies. And I want to say I've been told by a few people that our um, grow class at 1030 has been addressing some of these strategies. There's a, there's a class at 1030 for those of you who would like to go to it. And they've been addressing a lot of these areas in which Satan is attacking our modern area, modern arrows, modern fiery darts. And they're being very effective. Immediately after carrying out his life mission, okay, so next week I'll look at some of these strategies. But to conclude, we're all under attack. So have you made, the first thing I want to know is just to make sure, have you made a decision to come over to the Lord's side? Just in case you're here. Have you ever made a decision? That's like becoming a Christian. Maybe some of you are like going, well, I'm not sure. Then let's make it sure. Let's get this right. Jesus Christ already defeated our enemy at the cross. He's already won. There is no possible way Satan is going to win. Jesus has already won. He won at the cross and he did it by sacrificing his life for us. And then I want you to decide, are you on, are you on the Lord's side? It's, it's as simple as this. Have you ever come to the place that you made a personal decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's not about going to church. That's not enough. It's not about reading the Bible. The Bible will tell you that's not enough. It's not about praying and say, well, I, I'm a praying person or I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. So is Satan. You'll never be more spiritual than Satan is. He's a spiritual person. I also want you to think have you just simply it comes down to this have you ever come to the place that said lord god i'm a sinner and will you i need you to save me will you please have mercy on me and god says yes based on what jesus did for me based on what christ and so you say that when i look at what christ did for sinners and that what he did was powerful enough to that he could rise from the dead then i will put my hope jesus says but believe in me. 
okay? Um, just before physically entering the promised land, God summons the Jewish nation. Deuteronomy 30. He's calling the Jewish nation to choose life and choose blessing, reject death, reject curse. And that blessing has a name and it's Jesus. It says believe in Jesus and choose life. So I want to commend Jesus to anyone here. And there's a lot of people here that would agree with me. Most of you, I think, agree with me. But maybe some of you aren't sure yet. And I just want to commend Jesus to you. I want to offer Jesus. Here's Jesus. Choose life. Jesus is love. And so I'm offering Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. And if your heart is resonating, then you're saying, I, I, want, I want him. I want Jesus today. And you can right here, right now, you can say, Lord Jesus, I ask you. I'm ready to change. I need you. I am not doing well in this battle. I'm getting defeated. I'm getting kicked in the stomach every day. I choose you, Jesus. And Jesus says, believe in me. And believing in means I receive him into my heart. So if you're ready today, you just simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me. I want a new start. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide that leads to destruction. Those who enter are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Few are those who find it. And then he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And then he says in Acts 4.12, There is salvation and no, no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you would like to become a Christian, then call upon the Lord that he might enter your heart as your Lord and Savior. Ask him here and now to forgive your sins and enter your life. And then for those of us who are Christians, we want the Lord to teach us how to engage on his behalf. Let us commit to knowing more how our lives are to be lived out in accordance with God's work. So here would be a, a proper response this morning. You can pray something like this. Lord, show me your will for my life. Help me to make the most of my days. Help me to embrace my assignment and equip me to stand against Satan's strategy. And if that's you believe that and you would like that, if you're a Christian, then the next thing is goes, Lord, show me, show me how to go from here. Just open up this book and this whole thing of spiritual warfare. I mean, just show me. I want to know. I want to live out my calling. I want to live for you, God. And that would be the appropriate prayer for every Christian. The best prayer for a non-Christian is like, Lord, I just want on your team. I want on your team. I want to leave that old devil. He has never been a good captain. He always abuses me. He always leads me into dangerous places. I, I turn my back on him. I choose you. I, choose, I want a new captain in my heart. I choose you, God. And then, if he is your captain, then you're, you're just simply asking, like, Lord God, this battle is real. And I just want, I want, to stand, I want, to, I want to stand strong for you. And will you help me going forward? And we're going to learn a little bit more about some of his strategies and what we can do and where he's attacking right now and what we ought to do about it. And if your prayer is like, Lord God, that's what I want. I want to go forward with you. 
I just want to go for it. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about his strategies at my middle school. I want to learn about his strategies at my job. I want to learn about his strategies in um, our 2024 elections. I want to learn about his strategies um, in my neighborhood. I want to learn about his strategies on the street corners and under bridges. I want to learn about his strategies in dark places and where people are being sexually assaulted. I want to learn about his strategy against young men and pornography. I want to learn about his strategies in, in drugs or alcohol, and he uh, can use some of those things to turn people. I want to learn about his strategies in high places and low places, Lord God. I, want to, I just want to understand. I want to, I want to understand, will you lead me, God? Will you lead me in better understanding? I'm on your side. Now show me how to put on that armor and take my stand. If that's, that's where we're going forward with this. And that's the only thing you really have to pray today. You come back to passages like this and start saying, Lord, I just want to learn about this stuff because I want to, I want to take my stand for you. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're worthy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We, we just praise you for how much you love us and um, that you're enlightening us you're opening our eyes to see that this this battle really does rage around us and we need you so desperately god every day we can't afford to go a day lord we could mess up things so badly in one day in one moment we could make a terrible decision in one moment we can't afford to be um, ill-equipped we can't afford to be naive we can't afford to be spiritually lazy we need to put on the armor and take our stand and that's what we want to do god and Lord God, I just pray. I know that you're a rescuing God, and so maybe you're rescuing someone right now. I just pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anyone here that has been close to the kingdom and they've come here today and they're just like, Lord, I want all, all the way in. I just pray right now, if there's someone here, just put your faith in Jesus. Just tell Jesus, Jesus, I take you today. I take you into my life. I need you so desperately. I'll take you right now. I believe that your death on the cross... Your righteous life was so righteous that it can atone for my sins, just as it says in the Word of God. And if God is calling to your heart, I pray that you would give your heart to Him. Just say, Lord God, I give you my life, my heart, right here today. Help us, O oh God, in the coming weeks so that we can take our stand, so that your name can be exalted in all the earth. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand as we sing together.